This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Well, no, that just sort of like brought to mind one of the things that I've learned last year, specifically in regards to, you know, the whole movement towards the need for a one language sort of like policy in Malaysia, right? And there was this discussion that was happening at Rumah Atta sometime in the middle of last year. And what they sort of like realized is that, you know, you actually don't have to sort of like speak the same language as long as you have the same politics and right. you have the same kind of like sympathy. That bridge will sort of like happen almost sort of, it's more important. I mean, you can actually mm. sort of like speak the same language, but That's come from true. different sort of like class background and would not be sharing the same kind of ideology, would not be sharing the same kind of like philosophy or approaches to life. Whereas if two different sort of like language groups, but inhabiting maybe um, similar sort of like spaces, but coming from the same sort of like class background would actually have more in common mm-hmm. than say someone mm. who sort of like comes from a similar sort of like language group totally and that agree. sort of made me realize oh actually yeah. that's the strongest argument for you know the kinds of reality that we have to grapple with in Malaysia that's today true. Hi, I'm Ahmad Fuad Rahmat. Welcome to Night School, where we talk concepts, theories, and society. And today we're going to preview an up-and-coming exhibition scheduled for early February by Project Dialogue. It's called Maratha Suara, and the idea of the exhibition is to put into dialogue via art what we consider to be uh, the centre of Malaysia and its margins. But as we are proceeding and learning at perhaps a high price now, that dialogue is quite complicated and to help us think through those complications we have Suzy Sulaiman who's a curator of the project welcome to the show Suzy thank you for what we also have Simon Soon uh, Dr Simon Soon rather senior lecturer at the Cultural Centre University Malaya you're also affiliated with the Malaysian Design Archives yep. Thanks for having me over. So we've had a discussion about this early on before with uh, Lawrence Ross, who Mm -hmm. talked about basically the difficulty of, well, having those conversations between the margins and the centre. And he referenced a lot of his uh, fieldwork because that helped us think through some of the issues. But now that we're rather quite far into the programme, can you give us an idea of what the exhibition is about at this stage and some of the observations that you have? personally about it. Okay, well, let me just kind of go back, say, so this project started like six months ago. And I think it's safe to say at that time, we don't know anything. Six months later, I can almost say that we still don't know much. (laughs) Um, Or in a more, I would say, richer way, because part of the whole project is not to just produce an artwork. It was actually trying to uncover different conversations. And I think at this point, I mean, of course, a a conversation continuously goes on, but we have to sort of cap it at a certain point. And then we have to, in a way, reflect as to what happened and why things happened. So at this point in the stage, I would say, since we only have like two weeks more, we're finalizing and trying to make sense of what has happened. 
some of the things happened pretty well. But again, I think you're very familiar. There were a lot of also like personal challenges yep. that we had to encounter in yep. the project. Yeah. So let's just update people on where we are right now. We have five artists. Right? Mm-hmm. And what we've done is yes. to pair each artist with different locations. So we right. have Pudian, yes. a visual artist who's been doing field work uh, with the Orang Asal yes. in Kampung in Branang. Yes. And we also Mountain. have Yana Rizal. She's a poet, also, well, formerly with Pusaka. I think people will uh, know her for her work with them, but also Project Dialogue. She has been paired with a group of former communists based in Ipoh. Right. We have Victoria, who's also <laughs> at Project Dialogue. Uh, yes. Also, not an artist, but she's been paired with a Silat Guru based in Gurun Kedah. Yes. We uh, also have Okui. Okui Lala. Yes. She's a video artist, but, but she, she has many mediums, but I think uh, she's probably well known for her video stuff. But she's also been working with the Domestic Migrant Workers Union. We also have Eleanor Goro. Who's a bead artist? I guess that's what. How yeah, she's yeah. she's a bead fabric bead artist, also a poet, a musician, and she collaborated with uh, one of the members from Punk Rock Sulap. And yeah. her location is here, so we've yeah. actually brought her here to sort of reverse the, the dynamic, right? Rather than just leave uh, Sabah and Sarawak out. But Simon, you've been an interlocutor for a project as well. What are your thoughts so far? Well, I guess the good sort of like fortune to sort of sit in one of your crit session that took place about a month ago, was it? Yeah, I think, I so. think it was right, in right, December 5th. Yeah. December sometime ago. Yeah, no, um, what I find really sort of like enriching about that opportunity was really to sort of like push the way I understand knowledge production a bit further. And as I've shared with you guys, what really sort of came out for me from that very fruitful dialogue was this opportunity to sort of like see how limited our understanding of what the margin is. In fact, perhaps one of the things that we came out realizing was that we are actually at the margin right. and that the center is perhaps elsewhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But as an art historian, what do you feel art brings into this discussion? Because I think for Project Dialogue, we turn to this largely to overcome the limits of conversation of forums, right? Because mm-hmm. after four years of doing forums, we realized that, well, the points get repetitious and mm. we end up with the same way of thinking and wording things. So we thought that art could open a different discursive horizon. Yeah. But we realized that those are limited as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is limited. Yeah. But it also allows for, I think it's this sort of like interplay between a discourse that you're familiar with, say through the platform of activism, as well as the creative as a kind of space Though as unregulated as it is, it has certain kinds of customary forms, right? You perform certain things up to certain expectation within a gallery space. There's certain sort of like imposition that is brought to bear upon, say, the presentation of an artwork within, say, a white cube sort of like environment. Mm. But I think since the 90s, or at least across the 20th century, but this increasingly became more prevalent from the 90s onward, sort of a recognition that Perhaps the white cube or the concept of the sort of like white walled sort of gallery space mm-hmm. doesn't hold that much anymore. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, there was a huge proliferation of practices that took on a much more socially engaged sort of dimension. Mm. And it is this thing that really sort of like interests me in the way you then start to think about collaboration mm-hmm. as a sort of primary medium. So if we want to think about the medium of the work, it's not just the canvas as a kind of like support structure, but the very unit of how we sort of create work is sociality, right? It's it's kind of like engagement. Mm -hmm. And that sort of like baseline kind of material 
that you use to sort of like produce a work is, I think, much more interesting for me. Yeah. Uh, one of the yeah. criticisms that we've had is mm. that for an art project, it involves a lot of non-artists. Mm. So even in the artist lineup, quote unquote, we have Yana Rizal, uh, poet. I guess well, mm. she's an artist in that sense, but definitely. Victoria Chang is first and foremost uh, an activist. But where is that criticism coming from? Uh, uh, just chatter here and there, mm-hmm. or the first impressions that people get. Uh, oh, why is she in this? Uh, mm-hmm. What's with that, right? And then we also have the location partners who are now turning out to be artists themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So does that matter, that term artist, in this process? I think one of the, well, one of the reasons I agreed to be on board was because the project was challenging in a way and I have to kind of you know agree with Simon that the YQ presents a lot of limitation and I know I know this was going to be one of the biggest kind of critique or thing that we will probably need to overcome so I kind of like okay we're not going to be producing artworks per se and I think towards in our discussions we've mentioned about these art pieces were more of catalysts uh, for conversations and inquisitions or inquiry and by that we can actually remove the need to have like artists or artworks because they are just perhaps objects which are aesthetically arranged, but not necessary as a piece. So by kind of like shifting the focus on that whole presentation, which is actually remnants of the white cube, mm-hmm. to sort of now look at more of the process, you know, and, and like Simon says as well, uh, the idea of collaboration. So I was very interested to see the ability of these individuals and their ability to converse so that was kind of the direction for this project. I mean, this, that was the kind of intentions that I was trying to make sure each of the individuals understood. You know, I like how the fact that it's asking questions more than making sort of statements. But I would also perhaps like to add to that is that concomitant with this idea of a much more collaborative practice and a much more experimental sort of like form of practice that has developed within, say, the art world or the art scene. There was, parallel to this was also the increased professionalization of, say, the industry along the lines of, you know, when you have government policies that tries to define this as a creative economy, as mm-hmm. a sort of like creative industry. That also means sort of like roping in, say, tertiary education institution in order to shape very specific kinds of artistic profile. The artist needs to be a professional. He needs to be a self-made entrepreneur. He needs to behave or he needs to speak a certain sort of like language. Mm-hmm. But, you know, artists being artists... Mm-hmm. They're rebels, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and curators being curators and art scene practitioners being art scene practitioners. Once you have all these impositions coming from top-down right. imposition, you're also trying to sort of ask harder questions about what it means to sort of try to contain the art world right, right, um, and make them behave in a certain way. So can you tell us the difference between a question that's really cooked and formed and matured as opposed to a question that's you know, impressionistic, for example, like because the word process, while you know, freeing in many regards, mm. I feel risks you know being coded as you know incomplete or mm. raw or unprofessional, right? right so, right, right. Uh, how do we make sure that the term process isn't abused, right? Right. I don't have any sort of like fixed answer to that, but but again, I think it's also what we're basically sort of testing through this project is this idea: is there really 
is the unprofessional? Is the non-professional really that much of a problem? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, right? It is to certain sort of like circles, which demands various forms of certification, various forms of like accountability. But the plus side, as much as a problem as it is for the art world to be one of the most unregulated industry in the world, and it is very unregulated. I mean, you see the art market has no forms of accountability right. where you know, money laundering just sort of like happens through the purchase of works that cost astronomical sort of like prices. As unregulated as this industry is, it's almost as a frontier, right? The other side to that is that you get people who are willing to play with the system, who are willing to sort of like challenge status quo. Frontier towns are towns where rebels, anarchists, can also exist within. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's the the register that we're trying to reach, right? That we're unconventional, that we're not playing by the rules, and then we're trying to make sense of that. But I still think that we want to be, quote-unquote, accountable to at least rigour. So as a curator, how have you made sure that the artists are rigorous? Yeah, so, well, I guess this project really calls for a lot of empathy. And of course, on my side, also personal contact. I think with all the four or five artists, I've developed friendships with them. And I even spend time at the mama stall just talking to them. Sometimes we don't talk about work. We just talk about what's going on in their life and stuff like that. I think most importantly was for me to establish this sort of trust, you know, within this very short time span. And if you're talking about, like, the process and the rigor, I think by spending time with each artist as they go through these sort of thought processes, I also get to understand how they think. You know, I think that's most important because I think at the end of the day, it's these dialogue that I have with them, which is also very much part of the process that we talk about. Because like we did mention, visual language has its limitation. Mm -hmm. And especially when we have a few of them who are not really visually trained. So I think I need to understand thought processes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how I look at. So this project took a lot of my my time. Mm -hmm. But I think it's it's worth it because in in a way, these bonds were something that the project was about. It was actually about establishing bonds rather than completing a project and coming up with an exhibition. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's an interesting point you brought about the, the bonds that this has, you know, nurtured along the way because in order to even know of these location partners, we needed mediaries mm-hmm. and we had to trust them to convey the message in the right way. So there's three layers of mm-hmm. recoding of mm-hmm. what the proposal was <laughs> about in order for it to be a language that is, that is more inclusive, right? Yeah. That's not just about, say, not just artists, but even the the sort of NGO donor language, right? right. That wants a margin, mm. that they want to think of the, the world as centre and periphery, mm. right? Whereas I think, uh, and we'll talk about this more in the second part of the show, this project is complicating those, those neat divisions. Anyway, we'll return after this break. I am joined this week by uh, Simon Soon and Susie Sliman to talk about Maratha Swara a new up-and-coming exhibition by Project Dialogue that tries to explore conversations across differences. And I'm Ahmad Fat Rahma, and this is Night School on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Night School. I'm Ahmad Fat Rahma, and this week we're talking about conversations across differences, conversations across spaces via this new art project that's coming up next month on the 10th of February by Project Dialogue. 
that aims to do just that and joining us to think through some of the key themes that the project has encountered are Suzy Sulaiman, project curator uh, and one of her project advisors, Simon Soon of University Malaya. We've gone over a lot of the contextual issues in the first part of the show, so let's go over some of the key themes that each of the locations have encountered. I guess for me personally, the most interesting one is the one by Yana Rizal. She went to Ipoh to talk to former mm. communists. And some of the stories that we've heard, even secondhand through Yana, has been really, really fascinating, right? Neglected by history. But more than that, they joined the party at a young age, right? 17, mm. 16. I mean, talk about being woke AF, right? Yeah. I mean, that's woke because woke you just. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and that's one of the easier connections that we've had to build, largely mm. because it's locationally it's quite manageable distance, but also they were willing to tell their story, and I think that helped a lot. Yeah. I remember Yana, after her meeting, and I met her, she was extremely bubbly. She was, there was so everything was just spilling over, you mm. know, and, and this was, I found it quite fascinating because they were predominantly Mandarin speakers. It was, yes. the conversation happened in Mandarin, mm-hmm. and this was through a translator, and despite that, there was so much desire for these two different people or groups of people to sort of bridge together. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the, I mean, looking across the other artists, what I've discovered is how it's not about the language barriers, but it's actually about how these two communities want to share. Mm-hmm. They're willing to cross over. Mm-hmm. You know, it won't happen if one person wants to have a conversation, yeah. mm-hmm. you'll just end up talking to yourself. So yeah. that is something that we noticed how fragile the project was, mm-hmm. that we really needed people to invest. It was not just say yes to us. It was yeah. also to invest mm-hmm. and to also trust, which I found very challenging to do in, say, two months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so these were some of the, like, if you're talking about, if we were saying collaboration, wow, you know, I'm just trying to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Forget about like doing a project together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're just trying to talk to you. And that was the first biggest kind of misconception that we encountered at mm-hmm. the start of the project, you know, and mm-hmm. that caused a lot of anxiety, I think, in the beginning. Yeah, that's true. Mm. One know? of the, well, no, that just sort of like brought to mind one of the things that I've learned last year, specifically in regards to, you know, the whole movement towards the need for a one language sort of like policy in Malaysia, right? And there was this discussion that was happening at Ruma Atta sometime in the middle of last year. And what they sort of like realized is that, you know, you actually don't have to sort of like speak the same language as long as you have the same politics and you have the same kind of like sympathy. That bridge will sort of like happen almost sort of, it's more important. I mean, you can actually mm-hmm. sort of like speak the same language, but That's come from true. different sort of like class background and would not be sharing the same kind of ideology, would not be sharing the same kind of like philosophy or approaches to life. Whereas if two different sort of like language groups, but inhabiting maybe um, similar sort of like spaces, but coming from the same sort of like class background would actually have more in common mm-hmm. than say, someone mm. who sort of like comes from a similar sort of like language group. Totally and that agree. sort of made me realize, oh, actually, yeah. Yeah. that's the strongest argument for, you know, the kinds of reality that we have to grapple with in Malaysia that's today. True. And also the sense of connectedness. The right? sense like, of connectedness. Um, that, yeah. that is actually at work when we yeah. do form relationships, we mm. do build trust. It's really yeah. about 
sharing that worldview, like you said. And I, this is uh, an interesting point in light of one of our, I guess, more challenging components, and that is when we paired Vic with the Asilat community in Kedah, right? And me being a part of the conversation, I realized too that there was a lot more groundwork that had to be done, despite the fact that mm. this was a world that I thought I knew, right? Mm. Being shaped by a very Malay context. I thought, well, you know, Malays are Malays, I guess, wherever we are, but <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's been a learning experience for me, just fine-tuning or even just even rethinking a lot of the things that I thought I could take for granted about Malayness, you know. Even at the register of the kind of middle-class developmental politics, right, where there are certain aspirations overlap, right, between, because under the name of so-called na- national policy, right, but even within that, there are very, very strong differences, real differences that has to be acknowledged and gradually worked through in order for that fluidity that you mentioned, Susie, to be attained, you know, eventually. But that was even heightened because we had very little time to... Yeah. Mm. No, I, I actually mm. have a question for the both of you. So in that regard, like just going back to maybe our earlier discussion about whether the possibility of having different groups who are participating in the project actually sort of meeting and having a conversation, would that result in sort of like conflict or not? And I ask this only because it seemed like if we sort of like talk in terms of sort of like anthropology, they do feel like they're still like the subject matter. Right, right. Whereas we who are the interlocutors then benefit from sort of like working with all these different sort of like subject positions that then feed into our discourse. But where do they meet? Do they ever meet through the exhibition is what I'm sort of like curious about. Does the exhibition provide a platform for them to, not for differences to be sort of like resolved, Mm. but is there an agonistic kind of like space for some kind of conversation to ensue? Mm-hmm. through mm. the bringing together of all these different sort of like constituent parts. I mean, going back to what you were talking about, the idea of like shared ideologies versus the actually, you know, the actual, the yeah, the difference of languages. And looking at our last meeting that we had with two of the location partners who were present, they were very receptive towards each other. Mm. In fact, they empathized towards their own struggles or, you know, their problems. And they were... I think one of the location partners definitely voiced out to me that she would be very happy if she could meet the other Mm. location partners as well because that meeting was by chance and I think they had a very very fruitful conversation which kind of like piqued their interest to find out who else is on board. And I think that would be something that, I mean, at this point of time, we've not really considered, but I think you've raised a pretty good point which is one of the reasons, I think, maybe I haven't, I haven't gotten there, but which is one of the reasons why having it at the Project Dialogue office, you know, we were, mm. we're actually hosting it there, is actually a, a good idea in the sense of we reduce the politics of space and allow for these kind of grains to come out. You know, with going to more, say, an established venue, you will have more rules and management regulations, you know. I think that could actually filter from these things to actually happen. So positioning it within an NGO space Mm. would make it less intimidating for these location partners because, you know, for them, the art is secondary. Mm. You know, most important is coming together and meeting 
and maybe even developing friendships from this project. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think that's the underlying intention mm-hmm. that I think is very, very strong in, in this work. Actually, the, the venue was a thought process on its own. It was a very extended <laughs> mm-hmm. one because we were trying to really give a good feel about what we've been going for, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, like Suzy said, that inclusive synergy between these different parties that have never really interacted with each other otherwise. So long story short, we settled for the Project Dialogue space. It's going to be a bit of a makeover there, but the history that it has and the fact that it's not a standard conventional gallery, Mm. I think, will give us a different sort of rules to play with. That said, too, what we are trying to do is to host a lot of location partners to give them basically a day at the office Mm -hmm. to basically make it their venue. Mm -hmm. So the Migrant Workers Union is going to have basically a day where they're just going to be there and just hang out with whoever wants to hang out, right, and talk about the work. So that's one of the things that we've done to sort of make them as much owners of the space Mm -hmm. as we are as the organisers. But I think that's a good thought experiment to have. The first question that you gave, like, what if we imagine a scenario where all of them were together? What sort of conversations would Would that produce, right? I don't know if conflict is the right word, but definitely a confusion at the Mm. very least. But Mm. I would trust that it's a productive confusion Mm -hmm. in that because they were brought together in the context of the project and have been wrestling with the same questions, and if not coming to the same answers. Yeah, I think it'll be... It's going to be Productive. it would be quite a good idea actually. I'm already <laughs> thinking about like how I'm already thinking logistics. Yeah. yeah. And because we all came together this different, you know, from different trajectories mm. and and all being squished together in this tight space, it will be very interesting to see how we negotiate yeah. ourselves and, you know, just trying to be nice to people, trying to accommodate. I think that's that's human nature. I, I doubt there will be any physical conflict. But it's good to sort of be able to reflect about what we thought was, you know, all these kind of questions, to, to kind of question all our misconceptions, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, in mm-hmm. a very sort of safe environment, mm-hmm. you know, where, yeah. Mm-hmm. Implicit to your first question just mm-hmm. now, well, not your first, but just yeah. your, your yeah. the question yeah. that you just raised just yeah. now is the fact that there's a risk of, you know, exoticization of sorts, right, happening right. here. Or, or well, I wouldn't sort of like go so far as to say exoticize. Uh, the, the question mm-hmm. of exoticization never really sort of like came up in my mind. I was more sort of like trying to work through myself that are we the only one that is sort of benefiting from the knowledge that is being sort of like yeah. produced by, so the constellations who have us, the urban sort of like city folks with the sort of resources and infrastructure at its centre, while these are other sort of like coordinates, mm. how do we then sort of like figure out, mm-hmm. how do we then sort of like decentralise ourselves yeah, through yeah. the process of producing this yeah. knowledge or this yeah. exhibition, or whether that is not, that is maybe a second phase of the project that yeah. You, we could sort of like think through together. There is an uh, affective dimension to this. Mm. I mean, because I think about that pretty much the entire time when we, we are trying to fix this, uh, <laughs> in that the giving and taking that happens when these relationships are being formed is where I think that is won or lost, you know, in that how much do they feel themselves to be authors mm. of the, the works? You know, how much are they really crafting the process you know, alongside 
us, mm. right? So I think, and that's an interpersonal skill. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, a technical skill, right? So I think that's where we have found ourselves managing those things, right? Feelings, sentiments, cues, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tones, right? And like, I want to, we want to make sure that they see themselves as much in the driver's seat as we are, you know? So, so that's been a component I didn't expect either because right. in the beginning it's all right. This is the budget. This is what we can afford. These are mm-hmm. this is the material we need. Blah blah. But then but we realized ownership of like the whole process of deliberating these budgets as well. Did they? Uh, um, no, no. Oh, okay, okay. No. Right. Yeah, but but actually, come to think of it, or, or uh, a kind it, of participatory budgeting, <laughs> that kind of word that's been added around in like in no, political uh, but, well, discourse to an extent because obviously, like, well, the spreadsheet thing <laughs> yeah. was done by us, but they they make demands as well when they realize that like, okay, we need this okay. we need that right how about uh, when i go there i need i need airfare oh. i need a hotel those sorts of uh, things yeah, yeah. yeah. that okay. happens yeah wow. but in terms of just like actually listing down the items no no yeah that was that was also quite one of the also challenge for me <laughs> because i know on one side you have the funders to appease and the other side mm. you have you know you have there's a bunch of people running around and you know they're making demands right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so my job was to mostly make sure everybody's happy and doing stuff, you know, in a very good mood. Um, so I think what I had to actually make a very, very, very conscious decision between deciding the human factor. You know, there are certain things of human factor that cannot be accounted in a budget. You know, sometimes we need to bring some buatangan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to, you know, pay two, three visits, you know. And in the first visit, we didn't say anything about the project, you right. know. So there was all these things that was actually part of, it wasn't even field work. It was like pre to the field work, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So we were actually trying to do that. And I could suddenly see, oh, we did not budget these yeah. these yeah. things, mm-hmm. you know. Because I think the reality of the human factor and then also the diversity of these different groups of people, how to sort of like approach them was different. The strategies were different. Mm. I couldn't say everybody would get the same amount because mm. it was different ways. Would you go so far as to say there's no master view of this project? There's no nobody sitting above everything and seeing where things should go and making sure they go there. I don't think we've had that. No. We've it's sort it's, of been improvised mm. at, at every turn of the hour, basically. Sometimes yeah. we just get news that we didn't expect and then we have to improvise that way. I do also want to point out that Pudian, a visual artist, has basically gone off radar Okay, to immerse himself entirely, to okay. become their basically... So since our discussion <laughs> the last time where he was quite... Yeah, but he, he is paid off <laughs> in the sense where he comes back to us with concrete information in the sense wow. that, you know... He's gone hunting with them, picking fruits with wow. with all our community. So he's gone native. <laughs> gone So he's really like we're expecting a wedding. <laughs> that, that was one of his possibility. So the next Antara. <laughs> the next exhibition, yeah. But he's basically like removed himself from technology. But he's come out really like insightful, like and not not in just in a matter of fact sense, but. A certain transformation is wow. palpable, right? Wow, wow. So <laughs> I like that narrative of transformation. <laughs> it's very so, heartening. <laughs> so, and we didn't tell him that it was just him feeling. Look, if I'm gonna go there, I'm gonna go all in. Yes. You know, and that's what he's done. He cycle. He, he basically goes around the village on his bicycle. Wow. So <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, and um, and he he know he's he's taken time to know the local politics. He's taken time to 
to know even with there's a politics between the Malay side of the kampung mm. the orang asal side of the kampung but even within the orang asal side of the kampung there's his own political dynamic right. there so he's really removed himself from the center I guess so so to speak to really get a feel of these d- different layers of of the spaces right yeah, yeah so his mm. technique was to literally like immerse himself uh-huh. in that in that environment for two weeks straight. Yeah. yeah. And he even was asked to like represent the community for one political event. So I love how rich like all these sort of like stories are. But I do have a question in terms of how you have spoke about this idea of the master view. The knowledge that is finally sort of like being produced, the experience that's that has been sort of like gained from this, how is it going to be translated, say, from one community to another so that yeah, it circulates? Yeah. That's what I'm fascinated by. Do you have any sort of... Have you sort of come up with... So that it doesn't yeah. just stay yeah. within KL? Yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah. stay within, yeah. So, stay yeah, within so project dialogue. One of the... Oh, so, so going back to the space again, mm. I think I was talking... About, I was discussing this idea with Okui because she happened to be... Oh, so project dialogue office is also a residency. So she was staying there and she says, you know what, Susie, I think it's great that it's in a shop house kind of like because a lot of empty spaces around Malaysia is shop houses, mm. you know. So there's a possibility for us to even bring this exhibition into smaller spaces. This is what was one of the reasons why I thought making it compact as possible would be a good idea. So you it's can, mobile, yeah, actually. and it's because it's a very generic layout. It's not a warehouse or mm. it's not a mansion or even a gallery. You can actually get that very generic layout almost anywhere. So we were actually thinking of places in Penang where we could mm-hmm. accommodate this. And we could also use, so these works would be in the sort of tour. And we can also try to bring it into these communities. Simply because how the space is designed, the exhibition is designed in a way where it's easy to move. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I like how the shop house is also a kind of counter site to an an architectural monument or architectural sort of like masterpiece or, yeah. and the shop house being a kind of symbol of also what capital sort of like facilitates it sort of like it's a symbol of what capital sort of like facilitates like, which yes. is a reconfiguration of relationship yes. I mean, not just sort of like capitalism in the sense that you know it's an ideology but when money is sort of like pumped into something, right. it reconfigures the way we right. sort of like relate yeah. to one another. Yeah. And it allows for different sort of like possibilities to yeah, sort exactly, of emerge. Exactly. So that and, so that's a module. That you, yeah. So that's a module. And then you have the periphery. Yeah. So you have streets. So, so our it, politics is about where do you want to sort of channel yeah. this capital towards. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I didn't I didn't see it that way, but but yeah. I like the way you framed it. Mm. And well I'm glad you mentioned Okui because I think in her case where she's worked with a domestic workers' union from Indonesia, I feel that the synergy has made it an exchange of information in that, from what I gather, our partners are also not just enjoying it, but also learning stuff as well through having to articulate their position in this. So the transfer of knowledge there is, to me, among the most palpable out of the other four, right? So that's interesting as well. But I think that's another component we can add to the events because alongside the show itself, we're going to have different forums and also like Q&A sessions that will involve our partners and we're going to try to make the show as much about what they need as well, you know. And Okui also made a very interesting observation. She said, my consciousness of wanting to remove myself as much as possible from... Mm 
their process is also a kind of privilege mm. to be able to have that option to be removed, mm. right? So how do we exercise that option in such a way that it actually invites a takeover of the space rather than just mm. them accommodating our sort of sensitivities, you know? Right. So what kind of practice do we need for that to happen rather than, you know, because I think there's, uh, you know, the urban liberal sensibility can be too self-effacing sometimes, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so true. we want to be careful in such a way that we don't yet want to true. assume that we're already doing that job, you know? So I think that question allows us to kind of make sure that we do that in the right spirit or right mm. tone, you know, so that mm. it doesn't come across like where we in the end assume a master view because we can offer them this, you know, mm. so we don't have that yet, you know, so but something to think about as the events go on, you know, because that's a learning opportunity right there. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I look yeah. forward to the exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. I like how everything is still up in the air. It's so tense. <laughs> so the, uh, the analogy that I gave, because when <laughs> Susie was describing the timeline, it's like we're serving the buns right as it came out of the oven. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. There you go. Yeah. We hear the little bell and then we're going to serve it. We don't know. We haven't tasted it. <laughs> we never even practiced cooking it yet. We're just going to serve it to people. <laughs> so it could be too sweet or too sour who knows <laughs> Ex- expired material or something who knows yeah. right? so. we're living life on the edge <laughs> any concluding thoughts before we wrap up um, I think no, no. I think this is brilliant. I love this. I love this. I love this project, and I love how people are coming together. Yeah. And you know, it's just been a great opportunity to understand each other more. I think. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you so much for sort of like having me sort of come in and sort of <laughs> share my ideas, but also learn from a number of some of these participants. Some of the most illuminating conversation I had last year was actually with a number of these sort of like community participants. Great. Thanks a lot, Simon. Thank you. No, really appreciate it and you know we trust you'll be with us throughout the journey right uh, i hope so. <laughs> through thick and thin inshallah <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what this will look like uh, <laughs> or who will offend uh, with some, uh, you know but you know we appreciate your feedback as well and we do welcome our listeners to chime in you know should anything you heard here be of interest to you or if you have much to add or critique you can email the show bfmnightschoolgmail.com look us up on facebook as well uh, type the search space and you'll find our page or uh, download our app at the Apple App Store and Google Play. Suzy, do you have a Twitter handle that you want to plug? Or? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Simon? No. I'm on Visual Art Program, Culture Center, University of Malaya, or Malaysia Design Archive. Okay, sort cool, of, cool. Uh, or if you want my Instagram, I'm Simon Sigra. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so those are uh, platforms you can follow. Uh, once again, thanks a lot, Simon. Thanks Thank a lot, you. Suzy. And we're going to have one final part of the podcast during the show. So we can reflect on some of the things we've talked about today and see how it's cooked, quote-unquote. I'm Ahmad Fat Rahman and this is Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.